And I'll begin reading at verse 11. Now again, the context here is that the church in Corinth was divided. Uh, in particular, these eight chapters 8, 9, and 10, they were divided over the issue of food sacrificed to idols. Some believers felt there was no problem in eating food that had formerly been sacrificed to idols. Other believers were highly offended by that, and, the, and they were really divided over this issue. And uh, so Paul wrote, remember last week's message was choose love, not knowledge. And that Paul was grieved at the arrogance and their independence of some of the believers. And all they cared about was their freedom and independence in Christ. They didn't care about the effect that it had on other people. It was irrelevant. It was me, my walk with Jesus. And basically, if they were mature enough to understand grace and freedom, they wouldn't be all hung up like this. And so last week's message really focused on that kind of attitude. As Paul said, grow up. It's immature. The aim of the Christian life is to love. And if you don't love, you've missed the boat. And so that was last week. Now this week, uh, he's on the same theme because it's the same issue of this division over food sacrifice to idols. And he's grieved at the sloppiness of, of some of these Corinthian believers and the way they approach the Christian life. And he's grieved by their sloppiness over the high calling that God has given them. So I'm going to really speak on verses 1 to 13 of chapter 10. But I want to begin reading at verse 11. Uh, he begins by saying in verse 1, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, uh, of the following facts. And he records all about their life in the wilderness. And then in verse 11, he says this, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. I want you to underline that final phrase, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now you'll notice in verse 18, verse 11, it's this great verse, on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Paul says, I'm grieved because on you, believers, in the New Testament, the fulfillment of the ages has come. You have an incredible destiny and calling. And in fact, he goes, all that happened in the Old Testament, from creation to the calling of Abraham and the birth of the Israelites and the people of God, and all that happened to them in the wilderness and the exodus and going into the promised land and all the prophets and all that followed after that, all of that was given for you. And all was pointing forward to the birthing of a church after Jesus died and rose again and sent the Holy Spirit that God were full of people in which he dwells. And in you, the fulfillment of the ages, verse 11 has come. In other words, God has an incredible plan and destiny and purpose for you that all things will be summed up in Christ at the end. You and I are living, friends, at the end of history. That's called the church. And Paul has this, I don't know what to call it, but this incredible sense of the plan of God for the church. Many of us are very flippant about it, even about our own lives. Paul says, no, you don't understand. 
On you, verse 11, the fulfillment of the ages has come. Don't be sloppy about it. God's got a call on your life. God's got a plan for your life. And when Paul thinks about believers in the church, he is filled with this enormous sense of destiny. And the tragedy when people don't take it seriously. And when I was in the car and I was meditating on this, I was sitting in my car by a pond on Monday morning, and it was like, honestly, it was, it was like a, a, the Lord just filling the car with his presence on this little phrase. And I, I, I saw it. I said, no wonder Paul was so fanatical and passionate for the church. Because he saw that God's dream was a bride without spot or blemish to be presented to Jesus at the end of time. And the Lord's heart and passion is for you to be the men and women he's called you to be and for the church to be a light to the nations. And so yet we're into, you know, we talk a lot about our, our depravity and our sinfulness, and that's only by grace that we stand. But there's another side to this, and that is that you have greatness to you. If you are in Christ today, you know him. He's your Savior, he's your Lord, your son, daughter of the living God. Hear this, you have greatness. So put the overhead up. And what Paul's saying is, guys, grow up. Grow up in treating your Christian life as if God just called you out of darkness into light to make your life a little bit more pleasant or simply to give you fire insurance to get to heaven. That's not what this is about. God called you because you have greatness and God's got a plan for your life. Verse 11. It's a wonderful, wonderful phrase. I like what Jay told me a long time ago about a professor at the school where he studied that said this, my only regret is that I only have one life to give to God. That you'd look at your life and say, you know what I regret? That I only have one life that I can give to God on earth. And there's so much more I would love to be about. But I can't. I've just given, given one life. So now go down. Because Paul says this. Guys, grow up. Corinthians, grow up. You're immature in the way you look at the Christian life. And you're immature in the way you deal with it. And so he's going to say two things. All right, go down. First, he's going to say, don't be sloppy. And really, that's verses 1 to 10. Really, 1 to 12. The Corinthians were sloppy. And uh, let me just try to summarize uh, the first few verses. Uh, it, it's, it, it, he begins by saying, brethren, verses 1 to 5, remember the Israelites, the way they came out of the Red Sea, under the cloud, they were led by a cloud by day and fire by night. Remember God fed them supernaturally from, by giving them water in the desert and freeing them manna from heaven. They experienced all these miracles and wonders and blessings. And yet, look at verse 5, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. And then he goes in verses 6 to 10, and he gives them four examples from the Old Testament of where they grumbled and they fell and they disobeyed. And he's saying this, these Corinthians, were, these Israelites were so sloppy about their Christian lives. Ah, yeah, God's blessed us. He delivered us from the Exodus. And we've been under the cloud, just like we'd say in the New Testament, we've experienced the Lord's Supper and baptism and conversion and the Spirit and, and grace. And so, you know what? We can mess around with God. What's the difference? And so then Paul gives these four examples in 6 to 10 about, you know what? Israel, many of the people never reached the promised land, but they died in the desert. So he's saying this, don't you think for a minute you can presume on the grace of God and that you can intentionally disobey or be sloppy about your Christian life and think for a moment that this does not apply to you. Verse 12, if any man 
thinks he's standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And uh, here's the four examples he gives. The first, in verse 7, refers to Exodus 32. When they were waiting, Moses went to the mountain to receive the law, and they're waiting at the bottom of the mountain, and Moses is gone for 40 days. They get impatient. Do you ever get impatient with God? God, where are you? And so they say, you know what? We don't know where God is. We don't know when he's going to show up. Let's take things into our own hands. So they say, Aaron, you be our leader. Make some, you know, make some golden cast for us, and bam, let's go. And they, uh, they basically abandon God. They grumble and abandon him. The next instance is given in, number six, in Exodus 16, where they have no food. And what do you do when things aren't going your way? We do what they did. They grumbled. God, where are you? We should go back to Egypt. This is no good. And God gives them a little bit of manna, bread just for the day. Doesn't give them bread for a week. Gives them bread for a day. And they grumble and complain about that because God gives them so little. Just enough for one day at a time. And then in Numbers 14 and 16, also quoted here in this text, when God says, I want you to go into the promised land and fight the giants. And they say, no, no, no. When I signed up to go into the promised land, I didn't sign up for battle. I signed up for blessing. I'm not going to go fight these giants. And they said to God, we're not going. We're not going. And they refused. And it says the Lord was displeased with them. And they, everyone over 20, except for Caleb and Joshua, perished in the desert. And these are the four examples that he points out. And the last one is when they rebel against Moses. They say, Moses, your leadership stinks. We're leaving you and going to find another leader. And these sons of Korah want, want to take over. And basically, if you look at this, it's impatience. They don't like the way God's leading them. They don't like the way, they don't like the path God's leading them on. It's too roundabout. They don't like how God's leading them. It's too slow, you know, one day at a time, bread. They do not like God's timetable. You know what? They want to get rid of them. I mean, how many of you don't like where, how, when in the path God takes you on? Say, you know what, Lord, you're doing it all mixed up. And you, and you start to grumble and you complain, and you say, hey, I know I'm yours, but I'm done with you. Call me when you straighten out your plans, because I don't like it. And that's what it really basically the Corinthians were doing. You know, it's like I said, I signed up for, when I became a Christian, I signed up for body, life, and community. Yes. But I didn't sign up for the battle to get there. The chaos to get to body life and real community. And that's why many of us, when it's time by faith to go into the land and conquer giants, we say, I don't want to do that. I just want the promised land without the battle to get there. And that's what the Israelites did. Marva Dawn, an author, wrote this. One of the glaring characteristics of United States culture is the insistence that life would be comfortable, easy, and entirely without any kind of suffering. That's why we get very sloppy when things don't go our way. When we find ourselves in a desert being tested and tempted, and we find ourselves frustrated with the way God's leading us, his timetable in leading us, the kind of people he's got us with in the process, and the path is not direct, it seems to be roundabout, and what happens is we get very sloppy about the Christian life, we grumble, and we say, Lord, you know what? I love you, but, but... And we pull back, and we no longer live by faith. We choose to live by sight. The Israelites refused to live by faith. They said, I'm going to live like the Canaanites and the Jebusites and all the people living in the land. They looked at the other cultures. They say, we, these people who don't know you are living better than me. These people in the land, and the Israelites said, we want to be like them. So they threw off the God of Israel, 
and they took on the god of the cultures, and they perished in the desert. Now, let me ask you this question. Let me just, let me just read you something here, just real quickly. This is, from, this is what happened in Numbers 14. And I think what happens to us, when God asks us all to live by faith and not by sight, moment by moment, our life is one of dependence on God, not by us controlling it. And so when they got to the promised land, they had all these miracles, and it was time for them to go in and invade. They saw all these giants and fortified cities, and it was going to be a big battle. And unless God won the battle, they were going to get killed. So they said, here's what they said. When they saw the reality of the situation, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You've got to blame somebody, right? They kept blaming Moses and Aaron. Oh, if only we died in Egypt. Oh, or in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us up to this land only to fall by the sword? I'm in Numbers 14, verse 2. Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Do you ever say, hey, I want to go back to before I was ever a Christian. My life was so much simpler and less complicated. I didn't have all these people hassles and battles. I could just sit there in my old life and watch TV and videos and have a beer at the Yankee Met game and not be involved in all this and living by faith and hanging by a thread and trusting the God of Israel whom I can't even see anyway. Well, let me ask you a question. They were very sloppy, the Israelites. And as a result, they never entered the land. You've got to hear this. Gotta, we, we talk a lot about grace at New Life. And I, I, you know, we believe in grace and mercy. And that is the heart of the gospel is about grace. But you've got to hear this too. Do not be sloppy and presume on the grace of God. And as Paul makes clear here, there are consequences. And there are many who perish on the way, who never get there because of sloppiness, just like the Corinthians. That's why he says uh, these things in verse 11 were, happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us. Now, let me ask you, where are you sloppy in your Christian life? Honestly, where are you sloppy today? Ah, you know, Pete, the word and prayer, I know this verse. I've read this before, you know, and they, I got a lot of reserves in my back pocket. I don't have to spend that much time with God in prayer and the work. I've heard so many sermons. I got the Bible. You know, I, I've been there and back. And so I'll make it. So I can skip a week or a month. I'm not spending time with God. I get a little bit on the train on the way to work. You know, I talk to him or, you know, in the car. Him and I have a conversation at the toll booth. But I'm really okay. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm making it. I'm living on fumes. But the fumes work. It's sloppy. Or, you know, I know God. I know God's with me. I ignore him, but I know he's with me. Or in your life right now, you don't have any time for reflection, to be alone, to reflect on what's God doing in my life, where is he taking me. And so God speaks to you as a friend, but you don't hear him. In fact, God has sent Federal Express couriers, UPS. Um, he has sent people knocking on your door, but you don't have enough time to reflect to even hear him. Sloppy. Or maybe you're caught up in friendships that aren't healthy, and again, you started out with the goal of bringing them to Christ, and over time you've gotten sloppy. You know what? They're bringing you in the other direction. Or maybe you've stopped discerning what's going on in the culture. The scriptures are very clear that every, the people of God in every generation have to discern the culture and what's going on. 
and discern the powers and principalities behind that and be able to expose that which isn't true. And every culture seduces us in living life based on illusions that aren't true versus faith in the true and the living God. Many of us don't bother with that and analyzing or evaluating it. We just get sucked in. And as Romans 12, 2 says, what happens is very slowly the world squeezes us into its mold. I know some of you come out of painful backgrounds, a lot of chaos in your upbringing, and, and a lot of, there wasn't a lot of stability. When you came to Christ, and we talk a lot about new life, about your story, want to be sensitive to your story, and where you come from, and many of you have had abusive backgrounds, and that's, you know, we, we, we're very, I believe, as a church, very good at listening to those stories. But you got, you got to hear this. Paul saying, that is no excuse for the sloppiness of your Christian life now that you're in Christ, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But you have the resources now for a life of stability, wholeness, and strength in Jesus because God himself lives in you. And he says in verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. There is no temptation that's in your life. There's no difficulty or test or pain that is more in your life that is not in anybody else on the earth. As my 12-year-old daughter says to me, you know what, Dad? You don't know how difficult it is to be a Christian in junior high. If you knew, you wouldn't be talking like this, Dad. Or my, my, my friend in New Jersey was saying to me that his, he, about a friend of his who's 42 years old who's got Lou Gehrig's disease. And the only part of his body he can move is his eyelids. And he communicates, he's a Christian, through his eyelids on a computer screen. As the screen goes by, he blinks and the letter prints out. And that's the only way he can communicate. It's very painstaking to communicate to people. But he was saying that this brother, Pete, is filled with the joy of the Lord. And because the same struggle my 12-year-old's going through at Louis Armstrong Middle School and this other guy, Joe, with Lou Gehrig's disease, Paul says the same, even though the external circumstances may be different for those two, or for you as a single person, or divorced, or married, or with or without children, Paul says, underlying it is the same issue. It's belief and faith versus unbelief. It's believing that God is good and true and faithful, and he'll never let me down. And so I'm going to move forward, or ungratefulness, murmuring, complaining, and quitting. And Paul says that um, when you say, oh, you ever say this, my situation is the worst. I mean, really. God gave me a double whammy in problems or in difficulty. And really, the reason that I'm not obeying the Lord, or reason I'm falling, or the reason I'm sloppy, it's really God's fault. Or it's your fault. Or my mom's fault. Or the church's fault. Or somebody's fault that I'm not doing well. Paul says, no, no, no. Hear this. The Corinthians were, were getting sloppy. The Israelites were sloppy. And you know what? The Lord was not pleased they perished in the desert. But he's, Paul said, Paul say, listen, brethren, you have greatness. Hear this. You have greatness. The Lord has a plan for you, a place for you to go, a true you that's to emerge. You are to be free from the voices and obstacles of the past, to enter into the present and the future that God has for you. It requires you live by faith. But understand is that every testing and every trial and every temptation that comes into your life, I allow it or I send it. Romans 5.3. Paul says, I rejoice in sufferings because I know that suffering produces perseverance. 
That word perseverance means suffering produces a single-mindedness on God like nothing else. Because I, I get rid of all my illusions of what life's about. Perseverance produces character, Paul's right, a sense of testedness and firmness. And character produces hope, assurance that God will come through for me. And Paul says, listen, understand that God had to lead the Israelites through this 40 years to form them in a crucible of fire to be the people of God that would live for his praise regardless of circumstances. So whatever you're going through, you may not understand it. You may not know what's going on. He says, know this. God is sovereign in complete control. This is the way God makes his servants, like he did in Job. It's the way God makes his people. It's through wildernesses. It's through sufferings. It's through difficulties. But know this. God is faithful. He never gives up on you. He always makes a way out, which leads me to number two here. So number two, he says, don't be sloppy. That's the warning. Because that's our temptation, to be sloppy. And we decide, if someone asks me first, or is Pete, how do I know I'm, I'm choosing God? Now look at verse 13. It says this. This verse, everybody should memorize. It's the first verse many of us memorize when we come to Christ. It is a great verse to meditate on for your entire life. There's so much in verse 13 that I could really preach three to five weeks just on verse 13. He says, first it is, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So what you're going through, I know you feel like you're the only one on the earth going through it. You're not. Paul says, understand, everybody on the earth goes through the same underlying struggle that you are about whether to trust God or believe him or not. Whether to hang on to God or quit. Then he says this, and God is faithful. Now that word it can be translated into God will never let you down. Okay. God is faithful or another translation would be God will never let you down. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, he will never let you be pushed beyond your limit. Now, he will push you to the limit. And he does that quite a bit. Because that forces you to depend on him and not yourself. But he promises, I will never push you beyond your limit where you say, I, would, I can't. He's saying, but if you rely on me, if you go to me for strength, Here's his promise. You will, look at this. When you are so tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now, there's two things that could happen here. If you choose to go to God in the midst of your struggle at that point, one of two things is going to happen. Either one, he's going to show you a way out. He's going to show you the end. Or he's going to give you the strength and the grace to stand and not be crushed. That regardless of your external circumstances, you will rejoice and give glory to God in the midst of it if you choose to go to him. Now, the problem is, if you're like me, when I choose not to go to him, I get a little upset with him and you and my kids and my cat. But the promise is a way out or grace to stand up under it. How many of you have ever, ever run a marathon here? Marathon? 26-mile race, okay? A number of you. Now, you've heard the expression, in a marathon race, 26 miles, at about the 20-mile mark, they talk about something called hitting the wall. 
because at 20 miles, your body begins to break down. And the pain is excruciating. But good marathon runners learn that to push through the wall, that you can do it, and that at that time, as they push through the wall at that 20-mile mark, something happens internally, and their threshold to pain expands. And as one marathoner said this, everything I know about life, I learned at the wall. Everything, he said, I know about life, I learned at the wall. Now, the problem is, in America, our, the culture around us is, don't even go near the wall. I mean, just forget about it. Because God's calling you to something better. No. Hear this. Um, I used to run track in high school. I hated it. But you had to run track to play in the basketball team, so I did it. And I used to run what's called the 880 at that time. It was two laps around the track. Now, it doesn't look like much, but if you're running fast, it's a horrible race. And I remember about when I was only one-fourth of the way around the first lap, I always wanted to quit. And I say, I must be crazy. I must be a masochist. My friends are on the corner having a beer, and I am sweating here and feel like my lungs are going to fall out. And I have another lap and three quarters to go. But at least I was better than some of the folks that quit during warm-ups. They said, I don't even want to sweat. And they just the jogging around the track, the prep, they got out of the whole thing. Now, my concern is we're so influenced by the culture as soon as difficulties come, we throw God out the window. Because we've been so squeezed by the culture, and we've not learned by those who've gone before us. And so we forget that God will never let us down. And that going through the wall is God's gift to us. This is the best thing that have ever happened to you. Now, now, I'm not talking about, now some of us, we think God's unfaithful when we're stupid. When we bring stuff upon ourselves. Now, I remember, I, 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 I was thinking about this. I, I went through a time of, of tremendous doubt at one point. And uh, it lasted a couple of years. I was just doubting this. Is, is it true that God is faithful and he will never let me down? Because at the time, it just seemed like everything I tried failed. And everything was falling apart consistently. And every, I, all I could discern was God is not faithful. Maybe to you and everybody else, but not me. Now I look back and it seems so obvious. Well, the truth was I was stubborn. I was not making the right choices and I wasn't listening. And so in my stubbornness, I kept going down certain roads and the faithfulness and goodness of God was to let me bear the consequences of my foolishness without destroying me. But he was being faithful. It just didn't look the way I thought it should. And some of us, God's being faithful to you but the reason some things are messed up is because of choices you're making. And you're reaping what you're sowing. And until you listen and turn to him, you know what? Things are going to keep falling to dust in your fingers. But it is true, friends. And I also didn't, I didn't know myself. I did not know myself at that time and what was going on. And I just kept projecting out to God. It was just my own stuff. A note. Pete, do you want to be a millionaire? Yes. Now, Philip. Santos, where are you? Philip, the rear of the church. Wherever you are, go to the rear of the church. Okay. All right. Let me just throw this out to you, a few applications, all right? Is, can, can, is it possible, he's coming, is it possible to live a full, joyful life, regardless of external circumstances, 
in which inside you are warm. Remember last week I talked about that? And because you're warm and full of joy on the inside, that's what you bring to the outside. Is it possible to live life like that in amidst crazy New York City culture? And the answer is yes. Because there's a way out, you can stand out under it. God's faithful. Is it possible that you can balance the demands and the pressures on you from work, from laundry, from finances, from relationships, to balance all that and walk in the joy of the Lord? Yes, there's a way out. God's faithful. Is it possible for you to be a loving individual and to grow and break free from those things that have passed that bind you up? Yes, of course, God's faithful. There's always a way out. And, you know, can, you know, what keeps you from being a loving person? You know, for some of us, it's, it's, we, don't, we don't speak what's on our heart. We don't declare ourselves. Or when we do declare ourselves, we get nasty and rude. Is it possible I can grow into being a person that is separate from other people and yet has not built walls and loves others? Yes. There's grace to do that. Is it, is it possible I can be humble and yet be bold at the same time? Can, can, I, can I get free from my self-defenses? my addictive personality and not run into fantasies to escape from pain but yet confront the difficulty of life by the grace of God and be like Jesus yes because God's faithful he'll never let you down he always makes a way out if you'll go to him how about how about you have conflicts that are unresolved you know can I can I get through this pain I just want to leave God I just you know, friendships that are lost and changes. I just want to run away. Can God get me through this? Is there a way out? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? God says, yes, stick with me. As one person in a lot of pain, first service said to me, Pete, how do I know I'm choosing the way out? And my answer is this. When you're under the pressure, a part of you wants to quit and run. You want to drop all your disciplines at that point you want to isolate yourself you want to quit the discipline of fellowship you want to quit prayer time alone with God giving and being consistent what you want to do is you want to run away quit and get away from God until all of this blows over and what happens as you wander away from God he gets further and further and further away then you wonder my heart's grown cold it must be God's fault but to choose the way out friends I truly believe is to be faithful to the things, even when you feel nothing, even when prayer life is so difficult, even when you're in that cell group and it's like, oh gosh, I feel nothing. I'm in church here on Sunday worship, it's just not connecting with me. But I'm sticking with God, even though at this moment my feelings are gone. And the Lord says, if you will choose me, I promise you the end will come. There will be light at the end of the tunnel. And I promise you, you'll have strength to bear it and walk with me in it. I know some of you are in terrific pain right now. Some of you are in, 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 in trials maybe bigger than you've ever faced before as a single individual, in, in your marriage, in your walk with God, and who God is. I know, you're out there. Some of you talk to me. You've got to hear Paul. He's encouraging the Corinthians because they're in it too. He's saying, brethren, listen to me. Make a choice because you have a free will. God's not forcing you to go to God, to hang on there and not choose bitterness grumbling and complaining. It doesn't mean you don't argue with God, because David did and Job did. It doesn't mean you don't yell at God. Look at all the Psalms written. We read those books too flippantly. Even Job went crazy a couple times. 
but Job stuck with God in his anguish. And so, you've got to receive permission to be in anguish. Permission to get mad at God. Permission to be angry. But in it, you stick with God. That's what made David great. He kept going back to God. Think of Judas. Judas was with Jesus, but he never was honest about his struggle, about this kingdom of God thing. Because Judas had no theology for a cross, for disappointment and disillusionment. He had God in a box of how God was going to work. And when God shattered the box, Judas quit. He never made it to the promised land. He was close, but he never made it. The Israelites were close, but they never made it. You may be close, but you got to hear the warning. Don't be sloppy. Don't think that you can complain and murmur. You can quit on God for six months or a year, and it doesn't affect you. You reap what you sow. Hear it. But I want to encourage you, says Paul. Verse 13 is incredible. God will never let you down. He is faithful. You know, I was talking to some parents about moving out of New York. I can't raise kids in New York. They'll never make it. The temptations are too great. It's not true. If you're faithful to God, you seek Him first, you, you, you do the hard work of discipling your kids, the Lord says, I'll never let you down. I'll always make a way out no matter where you live. I can go on. Now, let's close with this. Let me, let me read something real quickly. There's a lie out there, and the lie is that you can't make it. The lie is that you'll, you ever feel like this? I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it through this trial in my marriage. I'm not going to make this trial with God. Or I, I don't think I'm going to make it. Or as a single person, the loneliness or my struggle to remain sexually pure, I don't think I'm going to make it, Pete. Or raising my kids, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do with these teenagers. Or financially, I'm in, I'm in the hole. I've been in the hole for a long time. I'm so deep in. I don't think I'm ever going to get out. I'm never going to make it and be free to be a generous person. Or I'm never going to get free to be my true self, the person God's called me to be. I'm always going to be trapped by the sins of my parents and their parents, parents, and all the generations that have gone before me. I'll never be a warm, joyful person on the inside. Never. I'll always be bitter and angry and crampy and cranky and crabby. Vic Vaclav Havel was a former president of Czechoslovakia. And when he was asked about how did the Iron Curtain come down in the former Soviet Union, he wrote a lot of essays about that, spoke a lot about it. And he said, these Iron Curtains fell not through nuclear weapons and the military. He says, because we came to the conclusion that the whole culture was based on a fundamental lie, the whole Soviet system. And here's what he said. We had underground study groups. We studied Plato and drama and music and wrote novels and poetry and we published them, and the truth became stronger and stronger. And then certain, at a certain point, we all began to realize that we looked at the system, the Soviet system, and said, we don't believe you anymore. And the system fell, not because of the power of the West and their nuclear equipment, but because the people within the system said, we don't believe you anymore. And friends, we need to step back and look at the story of God moving through history. And look at my life and your life in the big plan of God from the beginning of time to the end of time. And that God crafted you to be born in a certain country at a certain place. He brought you to exposure in, the, in Christ. Because he says, you, you have a grand future. You're, you're a great person. I've got something for you, verse 11. And, and I've got a, a calling on your life. And don't believe the lies of a culture that you'll die in a desert. Don't believe the lies of a culture that that's what life's about. No. God is faithful. He'll never let you down. 
but you can walk by faith and trust them even when nobody else is. And God, I promise you, I'm going to bring you all the way. You're going to become the true individual that I made you to be from the inside out. You're going to become Christ in you, the hope of glory, your marriage, your relationships. Your, your, I'm going to put you together. And I'm going to take all the junk of the past. I'm going to put it all together. I'm going to bring it into something good for your good and God's glory and other people's good. And so understand that your, your place in the big picture. So listen, you have greatness. You know, I love Billy Graham's wife. Ruth is now 80 years old. And when she was raising her kids, she was so frustrated because they were out of control. She had five kids. And Billy Graham was traveling all over the world, and she was a single parent, basically. And she writes this in her journal, February, I think it was 13th, 14th, 1957. And she wrote this. She goes, ah, my kids, they, this morning they were fighting during my time with the Lord. They were grumbling and interrupting and slurring one another in impudence. So now they're off to school, school, and I'm in my bed thinking it through. Franklin, my oldest son, I put him in the car trunk for tormenting his sisters. And she, I, and she goes, I prayed. I just pray to the Lord. And now, some of you are, are in situations far worse, and you're not on a mountain by yourself. You're here in New York. But she said, God was faithful. He never let me down. And now, 40 years later, you know, all of her five children know Christ and are serving him all over the world. But she says, God is faithful. He'll never let you down if you choose to stick with him. But even if you're faithless, and quit, God is faithful. You may not receive the blessings and the land, but he still is faithful. So let me close with this. If you don't know Christ here this morning, please run to Jesus Christ this morning. If you don't know, I mean, I read this, I read this passage, I'm like, I want to become a Christian all over again. Who wouldn't want to be a, a true believer in Jesus? I mean, what a promise that nothing will ever come into your life that's too much. That God will never let you down. He'll always be with you. He'll always, whatever you go through, he'll be with you in it. He'll give you strength in it. He'll make you a way out. And that he's got a plan, a destiny, that you, you have greatness on you. Friend, you want to jump, run to Jesus right now for forgiveness, for a new heart, for a new mind, to be born from heaven above and become a, a true child, daughter, son of the living God. So at the end of the service, we've got some literature up here. If you've not come to Christ, I want to plead with you. Come to the altar and let us explain to you what it really means to become a Christian. And make sure that you have a personal relationship with Christ. Get that settled before you leave here today. But I want to close by just exhorting the rest of you, you're in the church, you know Christ, and you know, maybe you've lost a job, you've been humiliated, you've been rejected, I don't know what you've been through, you didn't get into a school, but you're wrestling with hopelessness and despair, and you say to yourself, Pete, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Now remember those who've gone before us, whether it's David who spent 13 years, 15 years running from Saul, running for his life. Or Joseph looked like his life was a failure, ends up in prison in Potter, after Potiphar's house. Or you look at someone like Moses, 40 years, having committed a blunder of murder. He's wandering in the wilderness in Midian as a shepherd. Or you look at Peter getting crucified upside down. Friends, but God never let them down. I don't know where you are on your journey, but hear this today. Instead of capitulating to hopelessness and despair, grab on today, be encouraged, and remember this, God is faithful. He'll never let you down. And whatever it means for you today to hang on to God, remember, he will never let something come in your life that will push you over the limit. He'll push you to the limit, but he promises you the grace that it will never be too much for you.
So if you're in that place, you're just grieving, worship team, come on forward. Be honest that you're confused. Find some mature people around you that won't get religious and just throw you Bible verses, but that will be present with you and will say to you what I know I love to hear when I'm in that place. says, Pete, don't worry. There is light at the end of the tunnel somewhere, though you can't see it. You don't need to get with people who are going to tell you, you're right, God's a bum, and they're all bums out there. You don't need those people, all right? Proverbs and is very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. But you want to go after truth in the midst of your testings and trials and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? It's a hard question to ask because you want to blame somebody else. What, Lord, are you trying to do in me? The Israelites quit and ran the other direction. What does it mean for you to grab God and move forward by faith, even though it all seems like a deep valley right now? All right, let's all stand. You have greatness. He will never let you down. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for us in this room. Because, Lord, I know many in this room would like to run the other direction and feel discouraged and wonder where you are, why you've allowed them to hit the wall like those marathon runners, why you've allowed such a level of pain and temptation that seems like I can't get through to the promised land. But, Lord, we thank you for the word which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, even in the middle of heat. It cuts through, Lord, that you are faithful and good and you'll never let us down. And I ask you, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, kindle hope. Kindle it in us in the name of Jesus. And as we sing this song, you know, it's been rightly said that what comes out of your mouth is what you become as a person. If you confess despair and doubt, you become that. If you, if you will speak the truth, you become it. And we're going to sing this great chorus. Lord, you're my rock. The Lord's a rock. That means he's not moved. And I want to invite you to sing this beautiful, beautiful song and sing it, asking the Lord to enable you that this will be life to you and it will be your story this morning. And I want to encourage you to move to the Jesus. Just move towards him. Let's sing this together. Faithful one.